Here be Jesus, tis Michael Flatley here. You're listening to the Mario Rosenstock Podcast, top comedy podcast of the year at the Irish Podcast Award. Me arse. Pogue Mahone. Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock Podcast. Uh, Joanne McNally's on the line. Joanne, great. Yeah. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Rory. I'm really fucking loving this podcast, I gotta say. You know, you were talking about guys and girls, right? Yeah. You know, the hidden homelessness? Mm. Yeah, totally down with that. Like, I was living at home for ages, and Vogue was living at home as well. And we're all living at home. And the big thing is, how do you get the fucking ride? Well, it depends. You have to really want it, I think. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a given. I fucking want it all right, right? No, but actually I have a solution to the problem. Yeah. Get into the attic. The fucking old pair, right? The only time they ever use the attic is to get rid of the Christmas decorations once a year. So the attic is basically free 11 months of the year. Just fucking get up there like a fucking rat up a drain pipe and start having it off. That's what me and Vogue do. That's great. Will you plug my book on your show? I'll do. I'll plug you as well. <laughs> I'll give you a good plug. You're not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Some great advice there from Joanne McNally. And she wasn't the only celeb who called in to chat to my special guest on this episode because the housing crisis is what everyone is talking about these days, and rightly so. My guest, Rory Hearn, is a housing expert who has just published a new book called Gaffs, Why No One Can Get a House and What We Can Do About It. This is a topic I am very exercised about personally and, quite frankly, very angry about because as somebody who reads the papers every day and has to keep up with politics and economics, I'm constantly being told that we have a budget surplus, that everything's going great and that the economy's flying and taxes flying in. And yet this problem, the basic problem of how people can't get shelter over their head, continues in what's supposed to be a first world country. So Rory and I get right into this chat. We talk of vulture funds, government in action, young adults still stuck at home. Young? No, not even young. Adults between 18 and 50 still living with their parents at home. That must be awful. And for the foreseeable future, Rory's own childhood spent in rental accommodation. And indeed, my childhood often spent in rental accommodation as well. It just dawned on me when I was talking to Rory that I spent uh, from the ages of 10 up to about 15 in rental accommodation all the time, going around from all different sorts of houses before I had to go to boarding school. Anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy this one. A mature student said, oh, I was at a match the other day uh, with my, my kids and one of the parents was like, I went home the other day and my 22-year-old was, I caught them in the shower with their girlfriend. She, of course, was thinking in her head, this is the housing crisis. But he was just going, what the hell? At 22 now, you can't even have sex in the shower for fear your parent is going to walk in. You know, I remember going with her up to the landlord. I remember her, my mum and her having a disagreement over was it the rent or, or things been fixed. And I do remember back at that dynamic. And what's interesting is it was actually in therapy many, many years later that I actually discovered. I suppose why was I so committed and passionate to this housing issue? It's very difficult for, for young adults and not so young adults living at home. Like one of them described, like she said, you know, at 25, been asked, did you brush your teeth? Mm. It's not exactly where you want to be. My full chat with Rory Hearn coming up very shortly. But sticking with the topic of housing, it's also a topic that economist David McWilliams is very, very interested in. And he was talking about it in a recent episode of his podcast. Listen to this. 
Ready to go, David? What are we doing today, John? Okay, the, the housing crisis, okay? Oh, let's do it. Love it, love it. Now just stick to the script. Funny analogies. Keep it simple, okay? I'm ready, I'm ready, John. Ready to go, ready to go. How are you doing, folks? John, what are we talking about today? Yeah, the housing crisis, David, and house prices. Great discussion, John. Yeah, Great yeah. discussion. Mm. House prices are like... My hairstyle. Yeah. You know, the housing market yeah. is like my fringe. That's right. You know, the fringe, sometimes it goes up. It does. Sometimes it's floppy yeah. and goes down. It goes down. Sometimes there's a yeah. house price correction oh, or a kink, kink in my fringe. That's brilliant, brilliant. People are under pressure as well, I guess, to, you know, with the cost of living as well. And absolutely, John. Yeah. It's important to stay warm it is, this absolutely. winter. It is. Jesus, it is. So, and I so, remember what as doing? a chiseler in the tenements at Dorky in the 70s, so I do. David. John the bollocks flows in <laughs> office. I'm old da chopping up the fucking furniture David. so that we could have an old fire for the night. Stop we this. all huddled around it and wouldn't I use the flame of the flame oh, to blaze up the spoon to get the smack into me da- veins. Smack? You never took we smack. We were the smack heads of dogs. Oh, Jesus. John. Anybody buying or selling the heroin? Here the house. Here the house. David. David. Sorry. Eamon Dunphy. Hold it there. I'm trying to do a podcast next door and I've had enough of this McWilliams poverty shite. Oh, Eamon, me old flower, me fellow poverty man. Shut up, McWilliams. You're a spoofer, baby. A jumped up puffball. You don't know what it was like to be poor. We were so poor. We had to wear our jocks inside out to get an extra wear. We were so poor, we painted our feet so it looked like we had shoes. We were so poor, the ducks in Stevens Green used to throw bread at us when we went into the park. Isn't that right, John? I agree with Eamon. So don't talk to me about poverty, baby. You're a spiv. Shut your mouth. Radio, Eamon. Let's go, John. Tolags. <laughs> Brand new comedy every week, only here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And don't forget that it's award-winning comedy. And I'm still buzzing from the big win uh, a few weeks ago. And thanks to everybody for their good wishes on that win. Listen, if you're enjoying what you hear, hit the subscribe or follow button. And if you can do one thing, just tell one other person about this podcast. That's all I ask of you. Uh, you can get in touch with me personally as well. At Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com for the following reason. Let's meet my special guest, Rory Hearn, a topic I'm very, very exercised about, as I already mentioned. I'm sure you are, too. Um, There must be somebody you know, if it's not yourself, somebody that you know or a friend of yours who's deeply affected by this housing crisis, whether it's being a member of a queue that streams back, snakes back two or three miles just to get a viewing of rental accommodation uh, somewhere around the city or somewhere around Ireland, or if you're in that position of not being able to afford a mortgage or now witnessing um, interest rates on mortgage going to go up, making your position even harder. If you have a story, if you have a story or an opinion on this, or indeed a solution, anything to say about this topic of housing, renting, being stuck at home with your folks, the embarrassment, the cringy nature of it, the whole thing, the madness of this situation, you can email me, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. Uh, I hope to read enough stories that I might share a few of those stories. Uh, I'll leave out your names if you want to on another podcast if I get down to it. OK, right. Rory Hearn, let's get to the chat. Rory, listen, thank you so much okay. for, for, for doing the podcast. Um, you're a perfect guest for my podcast for reasons that will become evident later. The book is called Gaffs. Um, why no one can get a house and what we can do about it. Uh, perfect uh, subtitles to this book. 
Um, what I wanted to ask you though was like you say you said in in an interview that you put your heart and soul into it, mm. and and why why was it so personal to you, Rory? Yeah, Mario, it's uh, I suppose it's something that I've been working on for a very very long time. The area of housing. Um, and it even goes back to my childhood mm. and uh, growing up in Tremor in Waterford. Ah, which so is a fellow, a fellow buddy. <laughs> a fellow blah. A blahhead. A blahhead, yeah. exactly. And I, I was actually asking you before we came on, how did someone from Waterford, <laughs> where where did someone from Waterford get such a sense of humour? We kind of have a dry, cutting humour, but it's not... Uh, well... I've been told that like um, I've been told that it's a great uh, entertainment town. Like we have Gilbert O'Sullivan by, yeah, that's and true. Val Dunican before that, that's Keith right. Barry, uh, yeah. you know, Dunican and, and Elvis and Tremor. Elvis and Tremor. But also, what about Kate Bush? I think we laid claim to Kate Bush at one stage as well. Did you ever hear that one? I didn't hear Kate that one. Kate Bush. No. Yeah, I think her mother's side of the family had yeah. some, something. And John Milan, of course. Well, John Milan, the great comedian. Yeah. And John Milan. So yeah. yes, um, I don't know, but we have they have a great capacity to take the piss out in out in that's Waterford. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 Very so you good. can't get ahead of yourself. So no. Maybe no you can't you're certainly taken down you. to earth very quickly they used to love my takeoffs. Yeah, Mario take your man off Dale <laughs> and uh, so I'd take him off and they'd love that at Morford yeah, so that's probably yeah. where I got my sense of humour but so you grew up in Tremor I grew up in Tremor yeah in the um, er, the 1980s and my parents had emigrated to Canada um, and they came back and they could, weren't in a position to buy a home so they were renting um, and I remember, um, you know, we had a lovely home on Priest Road uh, in Tremor, and but we had to move for different reasons. The landlords, mm. uh, for different reasons, the landlord wanted to sell the property. My parents weren't in a position to cover the cost of, of renovating it, and, and so we moved somewhere else, another rental property across the town. Now, Tremor is not a huge town, but <laughs> for me, for me, it was like, you know, I, I wasn't on the same street as my friend. I couldn't see my friend. I was only probably four or five, six, and for me, it was like my world changed. You know, I had to walk this whole way across the town to go to school, and uh, and you know it just um, and were then we you, moved were again aware, Were you aware that you were at the beck or the whim of a, of a landlord that I was actually yeah I mm-hmm. was actually and, and I chatted to my mum about this uh, before I wrote about it in my previous book Housing Shock um, you know I remember going with her up to the landlord uh, the landlord's house to um I remember my mum and her having a disagreement over was it the rent or or uh, things been fixed. And I do remember back at that dynamic. And what's interesting is it was actually in therapy many, many years later that I actually discovered what was driving me. Because I was chatting to my therapist about this and about uh, the the whole issue of... I suppose, why was I so committed and passionate to this housing issue and so concerned you with it? You spoke to a therapist about um, this. I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that specific question, obviously, my my own other up. dysfunctions. And <laughs> but you know what I mean, in terms of uh, of issues and what... what um, and it was interesting and she was just asking me about, you know, my past and where, you know, and it was that. And it only struck me then that, you know, I had actually lived in the private rental sector for the first 12 years of my life and haven't experienced that level of insecurity. And I was working in, I suppose I was researching in the area of housing when I finished my degree in Trinity in, you know, it was early 2000s. I was researching uh, these things called public-private partnerships where in so in communities of social housing around Dublin, um, 
they were redeveloping these sites. This was at the height of the Celtic Tiger. Um, and I was going into the communities and, and there was these, you know, flats, complexes like Fatima Mansions, people might have heard, Dolphin House, St. Michael's Estate. Huge poverty, deprivation, uh, absolute abandonment by the state sitting alongside this, you know, booming economy. Um, and, and my research was looking at, um, you know, what was happening here? Why was the state not building social housing? Why did it want to, you know, basically dismantle these communities? Why had it given up on social housing? Um, and it was in there I got involved and got support and I ended up working there for six years um, from 2007 till 2013. The height of the crash, austerity, um, saw that whole devastation on the community. But what what struck me during that time was the importance of home and how even though these the homes weren't great, that it was so important and there was such community there and people who were in difficult circumstances, having that base of a home meant so much. And then I started getting involved in supporting this newly emerging, people who were newly emerging as homeless in 2013, 2014. Um, and I was researching as well at that time, the ongoing issue around housing. And of course, NAMA had started at that point mm. selling property off to investment funds um, and then I went to working in policy and looked at what was actually happening but through that period really I suppose for the last that's eight years I've been working alongside and trying to mm. highlight those people who've been hardest hit by the housing crisis and you talk about it been personal mm. like I've seen children parents, families, their lives utterly, utterly devastated, destroyed by homelessness, by housing insecurity. And and I'm an emotional, try to be an emotional, empathetic person. And I can't, you can't not but be affected by that. And so that's what's driven me to, I suppose, both personal and, and working alongside people who are affected by this to try and say, you know, there's an element of a narrative and, and it's come from the very top that this is normal. You know that we need to accept the levels of homelessness uh, as normal, that we need the housing crisis is kind of this thing that's just there. Um, and there's something in me that says, no, we can't do this. OK, you know? all right. So part of it is uh, part of it is coming from the fact that you've been exposed to it for the last eight to 10 years through policy, through your work, through research and through actually meeting people, your professional life. Yeah. Part of it is a reminder through your therapist that uh, maybe you had echoes of this in your childhood, the yeah. insecurity, the whim of a landlord. Um, I myself, actually, uh, in thinking about doing this interview, reminded my own self about my back, my background mm. and my background was very, very insecure. I lived on a farm in Waterford for yeah. 10 to 12 years of my life. I was with my grandparents because my mother and dad had split up and gone to Germany. Okay. And it's a complicated story and it's not one for this podcast. But really what happened then was in my early teens, I then reunited with my mother yeah. uh, for a while and my brother. And we lived in rented accommodation throughout South County Dublin. And yeah. again, we were at the whim of landlords and we moved many times. Mm. And so my memories as a young adolescent uh, is basically going to boarding school because we ran out of houses to stay in, basically. Yeah. And um, so... I'm also very, very aware of the feeling of not having a house or not being in a house or not having a home necessarily. I never suffered from the whole thing of not receiving love. I did yeah. receive love yeah. through many people in my family. So I yeah. can't say I'm, I was loveless, yeah. but very much I was insecure about housing. And to the extent that I actually had to be sent to boarding school. 
Yeah. Um, because it was it was too tricky. Which is difficult as well, because it's not necessarily, you know, some people want to do it, other people don't. They don't want to, to go to boarding school or oh, something yeah. like that. It wasn't it's, my choice. It wasn't your choice, you yeah. Know? It wasn't the situation, maybe your mother mightn't have wanted to do it. Do no, you know what I mean? she wouldn't have. She wouldn't yeah. have. But I was, I'm aware of this as well, yeah. this insecurity yeah. about having a house. And, and it I, is interesting that, that that idea of, you know, so many people do receive, you know, their home is a loving place. But if it's not secure in terms of the house, then that adds this whole layer of insecurity psychologically to us. 100%. And I've been I've been absolutely laden down with that insecurity Mm. um, throughout my adult life. It isn't something that maybe takes centre stage in my life, but I was always aware of all my reasonably either middle class friends who were going into a home, closing the door and behind that door was a burning fire and their loving parents and the house they owned. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I was constantly kind of on the move. Um, and um, although I wasn't short of love, I, I definitely felt the insecurity. Uh, and, and, and I grew up with this. And I, I, I think it's I think part of the, the offshoot of that is that I'm driven in a way to talk at times to people who have difficulty or who had the same difficulty as mm. me of owning a home. Um, and I didn't have a difficulty in owning a home, but living having, living in a house that I owned when I was young, and it's 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 really kind of I found it one of the most one of the things that annoys or that 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 angers me most about the country we live in. I studied economics and politics at university. I understand that we, if nothing else, I understand from watching hours and hours of the Vincent Brown Tonight Show <laughs> that we live in a rich country. Yeah, we live in a rich country. We're yeah. one of the richest countries in the world, for God's sake. Yeah. Why can't people afford a home? And I cannot stand this idea that we cannot offer this as a civil right to people in a rich country like this. In so many respects, we're a first world country. And yet in this respect, we're verging on third world or a developing country. Um, and, I, and, I, and I don't understand how this idea of a home has been turned from what should be a civil right into being this kind of commodified thing. Mm. That a house is something, sorry mate, you can't afford it. Like, I can't afford my Rolex. What? I can't afford a Rolex, you know, I'd love to be able to get a Rolex. But like, uh, your man can't afford a house. Hard luck, mate. Yeah. You know, like what? You, you, you earn a good salary, you come in a good job and you can't afford a house. Hard luck. Is that the kind of society we are? And that's what I want to talk to you about. Yeah. It's fascinating because the insecurity that both of us experienced Give us gives us an insight into that. There's there's this there's a generation living with that insecurity. Like when we look at, and I, I don't want to go into statistics too much, but no, some statistics are good, and but, some of your statistics are amazing. Oh, well, so thank for you them. for that. Mm. Well, we go from the, pri- the the increase in the amount of people who are living in the private rental sector has gone from it was less than ten percent of the population of households prior to two thousand and three to now in a situation where we're talking about a fifth, almost a million households, a million people, sorry, are living in the private rental sector, a fifth, 20%. We haven't had as many people living in the private rental sector since the 1960s or 1970s. Um, And the problem with that is because, and it's interesting when you think about it, the main narrative 
around over the last kind of eight years since the crash has been and it was exemplified in our buddy uh, Owen Murphy uh, the Fine Gael housing minister who talked about uh, the boutique hotels how co-living was going to be this great form of uh, you know uh, millennials just want to rent you know they want to be free and easy and flexible and have their avocado toast and you know just rent they'll be happy that's the life they want you know and of course that's fine to say it from your place of privilege where you're never worried if you um, if you can't well if you can't get somewhere you'll always be able to afford somewhere else or fall back on family but the point is completely missed the nature of the insecurity of the Irish private rental sector that you can be evicted so easily that uh, people are constantly churned around it's not the European rental where you've this lifetime tenancy and affordable rent people are literally living in a state of constant anxiety and that gap between what was Owen Murphy's understanding and I don't it was not just Owen Murphy but I think politicians across the board um, in terms of government ministers Simon Coveney uh, uh, what was this the, the great lad from Limerick who, who you do so well Willie O'Dea no 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 the even better Michael lad Noonan. that's the man ah, yeah. yes yes the former minister for I finance never, I, who, he was the first time I ever heard about vultures that's I'd it I'd never heard about vultures before Michael Noonan and what did he say about vultures? I can't remember. They serve a great job in the ecology. They, they, co- they pick the skin off. The exactly. They, that's what he, he argued in the Housing Oireachtas, Oireachtas Committee. Yeah. Uh, they pick the skin off the carcasses. Vultures play a really important up. role in the natural ecology. Yeah. And, you know, but completely divorced. This was the man who said, oh, sure, people, young people are grand to emigrate, sure, and they're doing it as a lifestyle choice. But uh, the reason I'm saying that is because people go, why are we in this crisis? And I do think part of it is a disconnect on a human level from those who are in power and the reality of people's living conditions well, and housing situations. Very, this, well, Recently, this has been clarified by certain um, political news events, uh, Rory, that have happened. Yes. To suggest that literally, a lot, how many of the politicians are actually land are are actually um, landlords? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had the Robert Troy. I mean, then you had the Stephen Donnelly situation, you know, not registering the the, 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 the properties. Yeah. I mean, Michael Healy Ray, Jackie Healy, or sorry, uh, Danny Healy Ray are multiple landlords. Yeah. Um, You know, there's just so many. Yeah. And, and so how does, can they have empathy? That's the question. I, I really think it's a major problem that they, they, they developed and they got politically involved as part of, you know, coming from positions where multiple property ownership was seen as a good thing mm. and you know this was during the Celtic Tiger you know it wasn't highly unusual this was a, a value system that was driven by government you know everyone was told to buy a property banks through you know money at people to buy multiple properties uh, unfortunately I missed that boat I was doing my PhD at the time and uh, was renting during the Celtic Tiger period but um, the you know th- that idea that you know, property housing or housing should be primarily seen as a property or your pension or your investment and renters just as the Taunish just said, an income um, skew, I think completely skewed our understanding of what is the fundamental role of housing. It's not as property. They dehumanise people as well and Abs- turn them into and to consumers. Absolutely. And, and tenants are just these people who they come in and out on a temporary basis. They have no right to a home. They have no need for a home. And a complete failure to understand what I talk about in my book, which is that psychological role of housing and having secure housing, somewhere that you can set roots, that you can have kids, that you can form a community connection, that you can have a sense of belonging. That if, you know, they are central things that we need. And what's 
interesting is everyone's probably a lot of people would be familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of, mm-hmm. of need and have heard shelter, of that shelter food. is at the very bottom in terms of the most fundamental need but when you go up the pyramid all these different levels of human need the need to belong the need to have security the need to have safety the need to have connection the need to be able to be yourself housing affects all of them all of them, every layer of Maslow's hierarchy. And I think that completely um, clashes with and contradicts and runs against this idea of property as housing, as property, as investment. Correct. And that taps into, and what the last thing you said there taps into something else, which is the need to be yourself. And of course, this highlights, unfortunately, it, it can be humorous at times, um, but it but it but it highlights this this notion you talk about in in your book about hidden homelessness, mm, the idea yeah. that four hundred and fifty thousand people in this country between the age of eighteen and forty nine live with their ma and da. Yeah, and this of course creates all sorts of un undif- uh, you know difficult problems. It does. You know what are those problems, Rory? Spell them out to me. Well, there's lots of problems uh, in terms of that issue. You know, and I, you really feel for. You know, young people, and they're not so young as well. They're people in their 30s. They're people in their 40s. The millennial generation who are stuck living at home. And and I've talked to many of them in my own podcast as well. um, And where, you know, one in particular, Rob, who's uh, in the book as well, um, who talks about, you know, coming home. He's he's in his 30s, mid 30s, talks about coming home. And he goes, I can't even put my feet up when I come home because it's my parents' house. My mom will tell me, get your feet off the... The couch, you know, but like something as basic as that, you know, I can't come home and throw my bag on the ground and go, I'll pick it up later. I know, you know, but, you know, they're simple things. And then, of course, it goes to, as he says himself, and and the surveys show that people say they feel infantilized. You know, they feel that um, they're not going to be treated like a full adult. I know. by their parents until they can get their own home and and even I was struck last Christmas and was, also their own self image they're not they're, they're not they're uh, not abs- behaving like a full ad absolutely full absolutely and uh, you know people are are critical of these you know the snowflake generation and you know millennials and I just think there's you know they've there's no understanding of what they're living for true you know how you know in terms of even commitment to society commitment to work I think there's big questions about how do you look at society and say what should I contribute when I can't even get a frickin' home of my own at 35 years of age? No wonder they're emigrating, you know? And they are emigrating in increasing numbers, which is a loss to our country. Um, and I disagree with Michael Noonan and many of the uh, politicians' uh, idea that, ah, it's okay. And as we have done, as I write in the book as well, throughout our history, it's been a, a terrible thing that we have done, is generation after generation, we have used the uh, the exodus as a way to take the political pressure valve off, you know, pushing for change. But that, that you know, we, we've allowed our younger generations go because we haven't fixed their social problems and in the past it was the lack of jobs now it's the lack of homes and it's it's very difficult for for young adults and not so young adults living at home like one of them described like she said you know at 25 been told uh, or been asked did you brush your teeth yeah, it's not exactly where you want to be no and and it gets better of course it, you know in the most uh, important levels of our lives in our relationships you know the and um, intimacy and intimacy yeah you know how do you have a relationship how do you um again you know they were saying that you know how do you bring someone home to uh even to develop the relationship where's your space where's your time your ma or dad your brother or your or sister or into 
going, oh, who's this? And uh, tell us about you, will you? Where are you from? And what are you doing? And what if you want to have sex, Rory? What if you want to have sex? You know, it's like, it's very funny because, it, well, it's not funny and it is funny, but... Uh, That's what I said. I said it's, it's bittersweet. I mean, it is absolutely it's, it's bittersweet. Absolutely mad. Yeah. There was, uh, I was saying this to my students um, in my class. We were chatting about it yesterday, the, the housing policy class. And I was saying, I was asking them to listen to, to some of the the podcasts and where people are talking about their experiences. And uh, one of them said, actually, I was a, a mature student, said, oh, I was at a match the other day uh, with my, my kids. And one of the parents was like, I went home the other day and my 22-year-old was, I caught them in the shower with their girlfriend. And... Uh, and she was going like she of course was thinking in her head this is the housing crisis but he was just going what the hell what are you doing 22 year old like at 22 what were we doing you know I was renting a property you know I was having relationships and at 22 now you can't even have sex in the shower for fear your parent is going to walk in yeah. you know and in a funny sort of way although we have progressed so much as a society and for example with our attitudes to LGBT, the LGBT community and to transgender and our progressive ideas we've actually gone backwards by a couple of hundred idea, uh, years as well in the sense that now you can't even have sex with somebody when you're 22 exactly in your this, own home I, I'd say that we have had his sexual liberation yeah. thankfully and now, and now there's nowhere to, nowhere, nowhere to do it yeah. <laughs> you know that's it like. all dressed up with nowhere to go all dressed up with nowhere to go yeah. so all fur and no knickers <laughs> well knickers are not you know whatever yeah. you're into <laughs> Sorry, Rory. I didn't realise we'd take this 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 part. We talked to you. Sorry, about that's gone a bit I, far. No, I did far. say I'd leave your therapy till later. Yeah, that's right. We yeah, will yeah, return yeah, to yeah. that later. Um, Rory, just just this probably summarises the problem. So you can just does it? You're, I, I'm only guessing, but I presume the answer is ninety nine percent yes. That you would be aware of a a, a a Twitter guy called Crazy House Prices. I am indeed. And he's brilliant. Yes, and he's he brilliant. Excellent. Because yeah. he, he just he gets to the nub of the issue. If anybody's not aware of it, go to Crazy House Prices on Twitter. Uh, this man Kieran highlights some of the bizarre houses that are on sale, the lies that uh, uh, state agents tell, like saying you're in you're in you're in Malahide when you're actually in Coolock, um, saying you're in you're in Castleknock when you're really in Blanchardstown or something, and um, you know being exposed for 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 total lies. And then the saying you're in Dumore East when you're in Tremor. <laughs> saying well, saying you're in yeah, saying you're out in Tremor when you're really in St John. St. Jo- what's the name of the place? St John's Park. Which is a beautiful place. You're a Johnny. As well. You're a Johnny boy. Yeah. Or German Road, as we used to like to call it in Mortford. Very, I didn't know it was called German Road. German Road. Okay. That's what the people who didn't want to be known to live in John's Park used to call oh, it. Okay. I had a boy in our class called Michael, and he always used to, his mummy used to always say, "It's not John's Park. It's German Road." Mm. There's one of those in every 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 class, um, but what was I saying? Crazy house prices, right? And he yeah. puts it, he puts the finger, the nail, he nails it all the time about these exposes these these disgraceful properties on sale, you know, and on rent, mm. and um, how awful they are, and the exorbitant prices uh, 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 they're paying. And one of them hit me last week like a stone, right? And people out there, you you'll 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 register this: one point seven seven million folks for a three bed in Swords. I saw the picture. It's a two up, two down, basically. Yeah. Rory, why did an investment fund pay 1.77 million for a house in Swords? So let's premise this. There's a reason why they did it. But why? It's an interesting one. And I just, I need to pause for a second because I have um, this sort of fear in me because you're looking at me the way Vincent Brown used to look at me 
when uh, he really interviewed nice. <laughs> he interviewed me on the TV. Oh, did he? Three he did <clears throat> right. back then. And one evening he utterly roasted me, roasted me alive. And I said, Vincent, why you roast me if you're green with me? He goes, Ah, Rory, I have to do it for balance. Did and he? I'm like, Yeah. Becker. Yeah. But uh but anyway, the way you're looking at me now, so I am just gonna get get myself together here yeah. now. Right, investment funds. Mm. Um investment uh, funds are buying up a lot of the houses. They are for, buying up for rental, large scale rental. Yeah. Why? So why are they doing it? It's, so it's a financial decision. It is utterly a financial decision. And this is something that I, I documented and highlighted for years, wrote about it in the Irish Times in twenty fourteen. It goes back to NAMA. NAMA wanted to offload all the loans that had gone pear-shaped um, from the developers, the Irish developers during the boom. They wanted to offload them off the banks, the IBRC, all those banks that went bust. Huge amount of property and land. NAMA at one stage had 10,000 apartments. 10,000 apartments. If they'd kept them, we wouldn't have homelessness. Mm. But they didn't. They sold them to investment funds mm-hmm. and they also had huge amount of land, mm. massive amount of land. Poolbeg, where uh, Johnny Ronan is building the big development now, is, is one example of that. Um, and they sold blocks of these and they went out and targeted the investor funds, wanted to get them in here because they said it'll offload the the um, the these toxic loans off the Irish banks. We'll get the Irish banks up and running again. And I make this core argument in my book that essentially the how the the future, the homes of generation rent of generation locked out, those people who can't get a home now, were sacrificed to keep the banks, to get the banks back into business, to get Ireland Inc. up and running again, to reboot the property market. And the investment funds were central to that because they had the firepower, the money to come in, buy it off at low prices, take it off the banks. And so, but because it wasn't... And essentially to get something back for your loans. Exactly. You get something back for the loans. The loans are taken off the bank's balance sheets the big thing about NAMA was it became a, a, almost like this pet political project, our pet project of Fine Gael and Michael Noonan. We want to say we wound up NAMA. We want to say we wound up, we got it all done and dealt with. Um, with no consideration that you just have this massive land bank, all these homes, they could have kept housing affordable in Ireland for perpetuity if they hadn't sold it off. And they still have a significant amount which could still be used. But the the point was it wasn't just in Ireland that the investment funds were here. The invest the investment funds and what you might call this, you know, it is linked to global inequality, this rise of wealth. Wealth internationally is looking for places to invest. And in during the the Celtic Tiger years, the the mortgages and the remortgaging property and selling it and was seen as a way you could invest a load of money. But during that kind of period of 2004, 2005, 2006, in America and Canada, house prices started rising, more people couldn't afford to buy. There was the emergence of this new rental class of rental, people who, who were stuck renting. And it, people with money saw, this is a new market for us. Declining home ownership. And, and they all... Yes, yes, due to subprime, but also house prices were rising so high that people literally couldn't afford to because people um, were getting locked out. So you had the start of generation rent. um, And then when the crash happened, the funds were like, woo, happy days. 
All property is tanked. Let's go in, buy it up cheap. We know what's going to happen. People are going to need homes and we not only get the the uplift of the value, we then also lock people into renting our homes because when they're locked into renting them, they can't afford to save a deposit. And also if we're buying enough homes, and I don't, I think this is part of the strategy, if we're buying enough homes and locking people out, what choice do they have? They have to rent from us. And it also makes them what Fintan O'Toole described in his in his interesting article about your book, perpetual slaves. Utterly. This is... Serfdom. This is utter serfdom. And, and I've, you know, made this point that it, we are blindly going down a road where we are turning a generation into essentially what I describe as feeding vampire funds into yes. perpetuity with their with their rent their income it's you know? the matrix and it is it is it is really just no like, it is the matrix it's basically that human flesh is being and, used as by vampiric bloodsuckers and it gets even worse because some of these funds one of them is IRES REIT Irish Real Estate it's Ireland's now largest private landlords has over 3,000 properties it is floated on the Irish Stock Exchange and there's Irish pension funds investing in that fund, right? So Irish pension funds are investing in this vulture fund that's buying up property and the government has just brought in this new measure whereby everybody has to take out a pension because they're worried that so many people will be renting when they retire and they won't be able to cover the rent that how the hell are people going to live? Yeah. So they're forcing everyone to take out a pension. And that means we're so all in on this casino. We're all in on the casino, but you could theoretically be taking out a pension that's investing in a fund mm. that's locking you out of housing. Correct. Like, it's this bizarre circle. Mm. Um, and I think that... It's so Tory. It is very... And the, you've just, the Tories are just being exposed at the moment as being so bizarre. Yeah. That they actually work actively even against themselves. Yeah. And they don't even know it or care. Yeah. I do think that there was, you know, they really were in 2013, 2014, they were really wooed by the investor funds. Like the Kennedy Wilsons came in and met them, you know. To get us out of trouble. To get us out of trouble, yeah. They were really like, they'll do it. And then what happened was in 2015, 2016, we started to have an emerging housing shortage. Our own construction industry was bust. And the other thing was, we, as I describe uh, in, in the book, we also created this other nice little um, earner and kind of a guarantee for the investor funds through our social housing. Because we stopped building social housing, Uh we now get most of our social housing and did for the last decade in particular through the, the private rental sector, through the HAP scheme. So people get a contribution towards their rent. It goes to the private landlord. So you're Again, another figure that will probably shock a lot of people. A third of all the private rentals tenancies are subsidised by the state. They're people who can't afford to cover their rent. In the olden days, they would have been in council housing. But now the state is paying the landlords their income. And the other thing is the other one. So we have the private rental HAP. So investor funds come in here and go... There's no no worry that we're not going to get a return on our money because we know if we can't get people to fill our units, the state's there. It's getting all its social housing from the private rental now. So we'll, and they are, you know, the state is paying hundreds of millions to investor funds to house social housing tenants right now. Um, and then there's another thing called leasing, which is even worse, where they enter, and that's the, the, the development in Swords. That was part of the reason justified for that investor fund to pay that big money 
for that property, 1.7 million, because they know that they can get a 25 year lease paid for at 90% of the market rent for 25 years from the state. So they calculate that over time. And if you calculate that out, that leads to a value of between 600 and 800,000 for a property that you could get that return over time. Mm. And it's guaranteed income. So our, our very own government So you're saying that, that basic guaranteed income makes sense financially then? Exactly. On the 1.7 yes. million? So our, our very own, um, not quite 1.7 million, I'm not quite sure about that high, but mm. definitely way higher than what a, an yes, ordinary person yes. can... And of course can, then they out compete them they outbid them uh, they outbid them exactly yeah. and locked them and out, locked out you know now let me just skip forward because I, I one of the things i know you're very keen to do and i'm very keen to pursue this with you um here and actually after maybe as well and that is the idea that one of the things you say in your book is you're very keen to build a conversation about this mm. it sounds like a trite statement a lot of people go on social media and say i'd like to build a conversation yes, about yeah, this and, yeah, yeah. you know get something started yeah. but actually i get the sense that you're very and I'm not going to use the word passionate, so I won't, that you're very, that you're very um, exercised about starting a conversation about this. So how do people start a conversation about this and how do people do something about this? Yes, and that is really important because I don't want to leave people in a state of further despair and depression no, than, I'm with than, you. How than do, they what already can, what can are in. Because we have to bring it to yeah. that. And I think quite quickly, and I, and I do, there's a lot in my book about what people can do uh, and the hope that's there. And I think the starting point is that, uh, as the point that Fintan O'Toole actually made very well in his review of my book, that the good thing about us, this not being an accident, this being the result of bad policy decisions or policy decisions in certain interests, um, is that with the right decisions, we can change it. So this isn't inevitable. The way it is now is not the way it has to be. It can be very, very different. It is in Finland. It is in Denmark. It is in Germany. It was in this country when we were an impoverished, backward, you know, runt of a state. Why the hell? We are now the wealthiest we've ever been. Are we really saying uh, we can't provide homes for our people? We're utterly dependent on the investor funds? No, of course we can. So there's lots of people to, can do. I think the first thing is the conversation I do feel is really important um, because I think there's a lot of people affected in many ways that we're not really talking about. There's a lot of shame about it, mm. a lot of stigma, people feeling internal blame. The politicians, are only too, government, are only too happy to have people to internalise all the sense of blame and take it on themselves. Number one, don't internalise it. Don't internalise it. Tell people, tell your story, get on Twitter, get on Instagram, share with each other, tell stories. Exactly. I'm going to say it on this podcast then. You write into me, voice note me if you want to, tell me your story of not being able to buy a property or your horrific accounts of trying to rent or the the penal prices that you're being, that are being being asked of you to get the simple Maslow need of a shelter over your bloody head. Tell me the story. I'll pass it on. Yeah, absolutely. First things we need to, and I also think that we need to have the conversation at home, just like in repeal and marriage equality in our homes with our um, all the generations, because there is a generational divide and lack of understanding around this. And it was really interesting um, that when you know, discussing to people, for example, adults living at home, a lot of time they're they're dependent on their parents, but they don't want to make their parents upset. You know, with this idea that I'm somehow, you know, behind others because or not, you know, I'm somehow my life is on hold because I'm living in your home and you're giving me a home. But I do think they those conversations need to be had, the difficult ones around the table and say, look, this isn't actually working. You know, this isn't good for either of us. 
you know, you need the place so you can have sex without me disturbing you and I can have sex without you disturbing me. Mm. But, you know, it's as, as basic as that. We need our spaces and we need to change this. And so I think that that's the conversation at home, the conversation on social media, in the media, and um, people telling their stories and saying, you know, we're not accepting this. We're just not accepting. Okay. This is not, we have to change it. Uh, it sounds to me like um, uh, uh, protest, peaceful protest and actually showing up you're showing up in person on the streets is something yeah. that we could do as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there will be uh, protests around housing. There's lots of different groups doing things like the Raise the Roof. There's the Katu Tenants Union. There's people can get involved. I also have set up a specific petition with the book that I have 10 solutions in the book that I want the government to really actually <laughs> look at seriously and say we have looked at this and this is the reason why you're not doing it or we're not doing it and I want people to put pressure on the government to actually really take these solutions seriously so they can go over there's a petition through an online website called My Uplift people can go over and check it out it's gaffes for all is the petition the 10 solutions um, and I think that it really is important that we understand and people understand that number one, it's not an accident. Number two, it's not your fault. And number three, there are things that can be done. And the things that can be done are multiple, multiple. And one of the interesting ones, one ones that I I just, I was writing the examiner about um, on Monday was the rainy day fund. Like, are we for serious? Two billion been allocated to a rainy day fund literally a generation is drowning right now mm. and you're going to put 2 billion this year into a rainy day fund 4 billion next year into a rainy day fund you know what happened to our last rainy day fund do you remember the national pension reserve fund we had 40 billion what did it do it bailed out the banks that was our last rainy day yeah. fund so what's going to happen this one we know at some yeah. point so use the 2 billion to build homes of course uh, Rory, I think we've uh, just about covered everything. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but some of the one of the other things about this podcast is that I have people live listening in. Some of them are in Great. Their cars. Some of them are celebrities. Okay, they love listening in live to yeah. the podcast. I give it. I give an exclusive first listen, a live listen to, to, to people, and it goes on their stream. And yeah. uh, and a lot of them, a few politicians, I think, were listening today to you because they Great. Be on. So Leo Varadkar's on the line. Oh, so, yeah. So say hello to Leo. Hi, Leo. Hi, hi, Rory. Uh, it's great. I really enjoy the the uh, podcast. Uh, it's 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 absolutely superb. I pretty much agree with everything you said, um, except what you said about Murph. That wasn't nice. Um, he was actually a good minister for housing. Um, and the only other thing I wouldn't agree with you about is, well, like, why were you slagging off avocado toast? <laughs> avocado toast is is it's very. So I suppose you spend a lot of money on it, don't you? And but you know, yeah. as a as a renter, which you'd understand, you know yeah. that. Uh, no, not quite, but. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the story with Tommy? You gave poor Tommy Bow an awful going uh, on TV three the other day. And Tommy asks the difficult questions. You know? he, Pretty much every world leader is, is afraid of Tommy mm, Bow at this stage. Mm. Got a call from uh, Vladimir Putin recently. He said, "Just don't let me near uh, Tommy Bow." Yeah. So the state construction company, Leo. Sorry, I got a bad line there. Hello? I lost you. Oh, oh, that's the way that it works. works. Yeah, that's the way yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. He's all great now. Leo is completely bought into the housing crisis. Like he thinks, absolutely, it's an emergency now. The whole lot he's on for it. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing the the big change. Good. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Michael T. Higgins is on the line. Our president. Oh, fab! Absolutely. Say hello to him. <laughs> 
uh, President, I almost addressed you wrongly. I was almost going to say, Michael. No, yes. Indeed, it is very important that you address me correctly. And may I say, congratulations to Rory on his wonderful, successful um, voyage into the world of literature. I myself, of course, had the honour of launching his last book. And That's right. you came to my house. I did. Orthnuktron, and I was there very happy to welcome you there. And you were wonderful host. To shine a light on this terrible crisis. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Rory stayed for three to four weeks on my house and lodged himself on my couch and invited various uh, people uh, over from Maynooth University over to share cans and stogies or whatever they call it. And um, <clears throat> really, Rory, you overstayed your welcome. You, you did say, though, that, my, you know, me Cass is two Cass. But I was stoned at the time, if you don't mind. I was having a couple of well, you know yourself. Yeah, you students like to, uh, you know. Well, I didn't inhale anyway. I don't know about you. You told me it was herbal tea. Yes, well, that's what Sabine or Sabina, whatever the fuck she's called these days, called it. It was lovely to see you again. Delighted you called in. And I can't wait um, to see what you say about this book. Yes, I, well, I will be making comments about the housing crisis in my speech to the Oroctus, which is coming soon. Thank you. Ah, he's great, isn't he? Oh, that was brilliant. Orson. It's a beautiful house, Orson Uchtron. Oh my Is God. It? Oh, it's just yeah. beautiful. Utter, yeah. utter splendour. And Can't wait yeah. to see it on crazy house prices. <laughs> <laughs> I was, but it was the first time I was ever in it. I was like, oh my God, this is hmm. a stately home. Imagine if Michael D turned it into 55 sublets. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? And started cho- getting, you know, eight students into a bedroom. Yeah. And yeah. bunk beds. Yeah. And uh, started making a few quid on the side. That would be quite funny. Um, do you know who's on the line? Um, uh, Joanne McNally's on the line. Joanne, yeah. great. Yeah, say hello to her. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Rory. I'm really fucking loving this podcast, I gotta say. You know, you were talking about guys and girls, right? Yeah. You know, the hidden homelessness? Mm. Yeah, totally down with that. Like, I was living at home for ages, and Vogue was living at home as well. And we're all living at home. And the big thing is, how do you get the fucking ride? Well, it depends. You have to really want it, I think. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a given. I fucking want it all right, right? No, but actually I have a solution to the problem. Yeah. Get into the attic. The fucking old pair, right? The only time they ever use the attic is to get rid of the Christmas decorations once a year. So the attic is basically free 11 months of the year. So if you're on Tinder, right? Or you're on the fucking blower to your man. Just go out, come on over, and we've had but, straight up to the attic, right? Okay, it's a bit drafty. What, what and you got to watch you your fucking stance on the, the rafters. Forget the bar that closes the styra. Forget styrus. Just fucking get up there like a fucking rat up a drain pipe and start having it off. That's what me and Vogue do. That's great. Is it good fun? Especially with me and Vogue, yeah. yeah. Great fun. Yeah, great. Great to involved as well. Yeah, from time yeah. to time. Will you plug my book on your show? I'll, do, I'll plug you as well. <laughs> I'll give you a good plug. You're not bad. Uh, nice little voice uh, on you. She's something else. Jeez. No wonder she's selling out the country. Yeah, yeah. They love her. I absolutely love her. Yeah. Mossy Henry's on the line from. Um, oh. He's on the line from uh, Bally Truckle. Great. Mossy, how are you? Hey, how's it going, boy? It was great. Rory, it's great to hear your voice, boy. Great to hear that Waterford voice, boy. The old broke, boy. Mossy, oh, my God. Mossy Henry here out in Bally Truckle. Do you remember Twomley's? Twomley's. Twomley's. No. What the Remember, you get Twomley's news agent. You get the old flake in Twomley's. We used uh, to be up by the Golden Friday outside St. Joseph of Benildas. I used to buy me blas on uh, some small street. See, I lived in Tremor. Yeah. And back in the 80s, you never left Tremor. 
No. You just stayed in Tremor. We went to Waterford maybe once a year. What was your favourite Hordy Gordy there out in the, uh, the amusements? Uh, the teacups. The teacups. Tea I cups. like them as well. well yeah. I, get, I, get, I get very dizzy on them. I like the horses. Remember yeah. the horses that you throw the balls into the holes yeah. and make the Kentucky Derby? Yeah. I used to love that one. <laughs> and and yeah. Cunning, Cunningham's chips. Oh, Cunningham's chips. Jesus. Nothing but, better. Oh, go way out of that now. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, Nothing now you're talking. But. Yeah. Do you want to go with, with the ice cream mixed in on top? I don't sitting on the beach. That. No, no. Do you remember the things where you used to get into the sack and go down the, uh, yeah. the, the sliders? Yeah. The blue slider. Yeah, they were great. Nice days, boy. Great, great yeah. to hear, great yeah, to hear no, you've done you so too. well, boy. Great to hear a fellow Waterford fella. On the Dacia. Doing well, boy. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's lovely too. Brilliant. He reminds me of every uh, man I met in Waterford in my <laughs> Is that right? accent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stop. Very funny. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah, he is. Great, great place, great place, great people. Oh, God, yeah. They've, and it's it, 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 it's kind of it's coming back a little bit, isn't it? Oh, it's hugely, yeah. hugely. Like yeah. people are moving back and, you know, with the remote working, mm. a lot of people are, 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 you know, it's buzzing and the city itself as well. There's um, They're doing a nice bit of work down there. Huge problems with vacancy and dereliction as well yeah. that they need to tackle. But uh, great, you know, it's a lovely place and uh, food as well is really developing. Sure, you have the beach in Tremor, you have the Cumber Mountains, yeah. you have... You know, the whole place, the Copper Coast and it's all that. It's good on food. Yeah, no, it's absolutely good on food. Rory, I want to thank you for coming in here. And um, I'm really, really pleased with the, with with how engaged and how committed you are to this. And, and, and I presume you're, you're going to keep getting stuck in on this issue. I absolutely intend to, yes. Yeah, I want to keep going. Uh, I've been at it for years. Has it ever um, occurred to you to... to has it, I mean, it has occurred to you, but what would you think about the idea of running for office yourself? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I, I right, you know, right now I've been trying to, you know, I I suppose in terms of my my job as a an academic, I'm trying to write and contribute to the the public debate is the way I see it, you know, and trying to really I- engage with that and influence true ideas. I believe there's a huge power in ideas and I think so. Um I think it's dangerous perhaps sometimes getting involved in the political world. Um people think it could be they they get carried away and go, I could do something, then they realise they can't do anything and the stuff they were doing beforehand was much more valuable. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do see that. Mm. You see people falling into that. And, you know, politics is, it's very difficult. You know, people are pulled, party politics, all that. And I think that right now I feel I want to um, really contribute to, I suppose, just informing people, bringing the stories, bringing the, the human crisis forward that people don't feel they're on their own, that people can feel heard. Mm. Um and I, I suppose there's lots of different ways because there's loads of people working on this. You know, there's the the NGOs like the Simon Communities, Focus Ireland, you know, Threshold. There's, as I said, the Catu Tenants Union. You know, there's people in local authorities, in the Department of Housing, some people in government, there's the opposition. There's loads of people working on this. You know, Coolon, co-housing is another thing if people are interested in. And, you know, I want to work with those people to make sure that I, I do believe, I actually genuinely believe that we can have a country without homelessness and we can have a country where everyone has a home. Like, why the hell can't we? And at the moment, that's what I see myself doing, continuing to push and push for that and put out the ideas that can make it happen. The book is called Gaffs, Why No One Can Get a House and What We Can Do About It by Rory Hearn. I hope it sells a million copies. Thank you, Mario. And it was lovely to, to do the podcast with a fellow blah. One more caller. It's oh. uh, Miriam O'Callaghan. <gasps> Say hello. Genuinely. Yeah. Hi, Rory. Hi, Miriam. I'm a mixture between real hope and trepidation. As you know, I have 14 kids and they're all living at home. What am I going to do, Rory? They're, 
Everybody's having it off at the same time. My that, house is a nightmare. I think Miriam downsizes the thing. Okay. Downsize. Sell up and down. Do you know what you should do? What? Uh, sell up. No, don't sell up actually. Okay. Knock the house. Build 40 apartments on it. Okay. And sell half of them. And you'll I'm be sorted. so confused. All, I, all the showers are occupied all the time in my house with people. Miriam, you need to read my, my book Gaffs. That's what you need to do. Gaffs? Gaffs. Read it. Okay. I get on to Don't you, aren't you related to people in power or something like that? You mean Jim? But I'm not allowed to talk to him. Okay. No, they okay. keep me away from him. Okay. okay. They keep me away. That's why if he becomes leader of Fianna Fáil, my career is over. Oh God, no, it's getting worse. Genuinely. Bye. Bye, Miriam. God, she was very emotional. She understands, though. She, she understands well, the crisis. Well, if you had four 15 kids, you'd, yeah. you'd understand. That's, you would. That's 30 people a house in the house at night having sex. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, or, or, more. or more. Or more. more. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all I'm equal opportunities. <laughs> that's it. Rory, thank you so much. Thank you, Mario. Listen, thank you so much. Yeah. Brilliant. And my thanks to my fellow uh, blahead, uh, Rory Hearn. Email me if you have a story, an opinion, or a solution, or anything to say about the topic of housing that chimes with what you've just heard. Renting, being stuck at home with your folks, anything at all, share your story with me, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. Next week, the great Dave Moore from Dermot and Dave. How much do you know about him? Not that much. But I found out a lot about Dave. All to be revealed next week. Same time, same place. Take it handy. 